All right, turn with me to John chapter 8, and I'm going to continue our series, Freeing Me. And again, all these messages, all these messages are aimed at um, the Become Conference, and I'd love for you to be there. But uh, I, I, we've been in this series, if you're a guest with us or if you've just been out, and, and kind of the idea behind these series of Freeing Me is that when we talk about freedom, freedom is not where I stop doing the bad stuff. You know, a lot of people think, well, freedom, that's for the addicts. I'm so glad we have a ministry for the addicts. And, and yes, addicts probably need freedom, obviously, if, they, if they're controlled by substance or they have an addiction to something like that. Um, obviously, we would want them to be free. But, you know, you, you can have an addiction too. Like you can be addicted to affirmation because you have brokenness in your soul. So whenever you walk in a room, you manipulate the room to get compliments that you want so that you feel better about you. It's, it's not a white powder, but it's your crack. You, you have to post certain things on Facebook to get a certain amount of light. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not brewed. <laughs> But it's your beer, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and so, um, I, so sometimes, yes, it's true that when people have addictions, uh, you know, with substances or things like that, or pornography, those are easier to to see. But we all have. But there, can I just tell you where addiction comes from? All addictions are medication. Every one of them. pornography is a medication. Alcohol is a medication. Drugs are a medication. All it is is an escape mechanism for the pain that is deep inside me that I haven't identified, I don't know is there, and it is driving me to something because when I do that, I escape this reality. I move into an alternate realm where I'm happier or not aware or more depressed or whatever the case may be. And so all of, all of our addictions ultimately are medications. And all of us, and, they, and they're medications because there's a wound, a trauma, a hurt, a brokenness in my soul. And all of us have, none of us escaped the fall. All of us have brokenness. Let me help you. The only person who has never had brokenness in his soul was Jesus. The only person who has never been in bondage was Jesus. So if you come up in here and say, oh, I've never been in bondage, we're going to tase you <laughs> because you're lying and that's your bondage, right? And so this is all about, I know what it's like to be able to see and kind of understand who God created me to be and to be stuck over here and think I can't get there because there's some stuff, there's some things I don't understand, there's some brokenness here, and, and I, I, I want to be that guy, but this is who I am right now. That's who God created me to be, but this is where I'm stuck right now. And we call that, that need what we need there is freedom. And freedom is not being free from this thing. Freedom is when I'm free to be that person. Does that make sense? And so I want to continue that line of, of, of thought. And in John 8, uh, Jesus is talking about freedom. And he's talking about freedom to church folks. And so in verse 31, he, he said, Jesus said to the people who believed in him. So these are church people. He said, uh, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Let me explain remain faithful. That means do it. Right? Uh, hearing his teaching is not life-changing. Doing what he says is life-changing. 
right? Does that make sense? It's the application that makes the difference, not having the information. A lot of people, there's a lot of believers that have great information who are walking in bondage because they haven't applied what they've heard, okay? So he said, remain faithful to my teachings. You'll know the truth. Here's the, here's the, 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 big, the big scripture everybody knows. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Uh, then they said, we're descendants of Abraham, and we've never been slaves to anyone. And we know if you read the Old Testament, the Jews were slaves to everybody. And, and right now they're under the rule of the Romans, so they're still in bondage. And, and he said, what do you mean you'll be, we'll be set free? And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He's trying to make it plain. Everyone sins a slave to sin. A slave is not a, a permanent member of the family. In other words, he's like, you got stuff in your life, so you're not able to be who you're created to be. You're not a son because you're a slave. I mean, he's, he's trying, he's preaching the same message I'm preaching. That's the point that I'm making. He said, everyone, slaves, everyone who, who's a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. In other words, Jesus said, freedom comes through me. 37, yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me. I'm so glad I didn't have to pastor them. <laughs> because there's no room in your hearts for my message. He said, I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you're following the advice of your father. It's about to get heated. They're like, well, our father is Abraham. And Jesus said, no, if you were really Abraham's kids, you would follow my example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. You know, people are in bondage when you give them truth and they argue with it. Abraham never did such a thing. Now, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we're not illegitimate children. God is our father. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me because I've come from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear me. For you are the children. Now, it gets heated here. For you are the children of your father, the devil. This was Jesus' sermon series on winning friends and influencing people. <laughs> Your father, the devil, and you, and you love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a, he's a liar and the father of lies. I call this message lies that bind. Lies that bind. In John chapter 8, Jesus, kind of the, the, the idea is Jesus is the light, and he is calling them to truth and freedom, and they are not able to come because they have a belief system that doesn't allow them to follow him. Even though they believed in him, they're not believing what he's saying. That's the whole point. It's like you're not hearing truth. You're not hearing truth. And he says, here's why you're not hearing truth, because you're listening to lies. Here's why you're not able to come to the truth, because you have believed a lie. You've, you've got a belief system built around a lie, and I know where it comes from. You have a father who lies to you, and Jesus says there are two fathers. There's a, there's a father that speaks truth in love, and there's a father who only speaks lies. There are two fathers, and he's saying you're listening to the wrong father, and because you're listening to the wrong father, you can't, you can't walk in freedom. You can't be free. In fact, you're bound, and you don't even know it because you've listened to some things that aren't even true. He says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's the question. If the truth will set you free, what will a lie do? 
if truth brings us to freedom, what do lies do? And now we see one of the greatest tactics of the enemy in that he is a liar and cannot speak truth. And he talks to us to lie to us because he knows lies equal bondage. If, if believing the truth helps me become who God created and redeemed me to be, then believing a lie ensures that I will never become who God created me and redeemed me to be. If believing the truth means that I get to be the son of God that God purposed me to be, then believing a lie certainly ensures I will never become God's son and who he created me to be. And that's the whole text that, that we're reading here. In fact, it says he's, he's the father of lies. He is the origin of lies. In fact, we can go to Genesis 3 and see the first lie ever spoken. Genesis 1 and 2, that's obviously creation. Genesis 3 is when Satan shows up on the, on the scene. Verse 1, Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree, of any tree in this garden? Now, first of all, that's not what God said. God said, you can eat of every tree except this one. And Satan shows up and say, didn't God say you can't eat of any trees? He, he always, listen, God is by nature generous. By nature, God is loving. He is giving. He is kind. That's why I always say you can never look more like God than when you give because God's generous. He doesn't hold back. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't withhold good. God gives good because he is good and God is generous. And the first thing Satan does is try to make it look like God's holding back instead of God's giving. See, God said there's this whole garden and there's all these trees, but there's this one tree and I don't want you to eat of that, of that one tree. And, and there's a whole theology around why God put that tree in there. For, but the main thing was they needed to be able to choose a relationship with him or choose not, not to have one. And so, but the first thing Satan does is he comes and he tries to make God look like he's holding back instead of like he's giving it. Did God, didn't God say you, can't, you just can't eat of any uh, of the trees of the garden? And the woman said, she corrects him. You know, he said, we may eat of, uh, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, we shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, and neither shall we touch it, um, lest, you, lest you die. And I, I understand. Let me just say something real quick. Because uh, sometimes theologians talk about things that are dumb. Um, God, as far as we know, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. But we also know that Eve wasn't there when she got instruction, when Adam got instructions. So Eve came out of Adam later. So, the, you know, either, either God said you can't touch it and that's not recorded. In other words, Eve didn't lie. That's the whole point. She was perfect. There was no sin in the world because some people, well, Eve really lied and that's the problem. Okay, Eve didn't lie. I think probably Adam was trying to, to really stress to her the, the, the only commandment they had, let's not eat of that tree. And I think he just went a step farther. Let's make a pact. We're not going to touch it. You know, okay. Does that make sense? So anyways, if you've ever wondered, there you go. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Here's the first lie. The first lie in the world right here. You will not surely die. Did God say if they ate of the tree, they would die? When they ate of the tree, did they die? Yes, they died immediately in their spirit, progressively in their soul, and ultimately in their body, right? That's what salvation is about. Salvation is immediate in my spirit, progressively in my soul, and ultimately in my body, right? So they died 
Did God say they were going to die? Did they die? Yeah. So here's the first lie. He said, you're not going to die. That's a lie. But the servant said, you're not going to die for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. Now, were their eyes open? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Every good lie has a little bit of truth. Let me just say it this way. When he lies to you, he uses the events of your life and just shifts it to make what he's saying look true. In other words, when he comes to lie to you, it's going to be based usually on something that you've experienced or something you've already thought or something you're scared about. And it's going to be the confirming voice. It's going to have a little truth with it or at least going to have something that looks true. In other words, did this really happen to me? Yes. And, and so he's going to come and say, hey, when this happened to you, here's why. Here's what happened. So he's, he takes a little bit of truth and just twists it. Because were their eyes open? Yes, their eyes were open. He said, God knows if you eat it, your eyes are going to be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. We're, we're, listen, at, were their eyes open? Yes. Did they know good and evil? Yes. Did God know good and evil? Yes. What's interesting is they were more like God before they ate it. In other words, before they ate the fruit, they were like God in every way except one. They didn't know good and evil. They only knew good. Right? After they ate it, they were dislike God in every area except one. They knew good and evil. And so he lies to them and he just puts a little bit of truth to build his case because he knows that if I can get you to believe a lie, I have access to your life. If I can get you to believe a lie, I can move you away from God. And so really, his only tactic, like here is his, here is his stun gun, if you will. This is what he has to offer. He just lies. That's, that's all he's got to offer, lies. And most every bondage that we enter into usually are created through a set of belief systems that come from lies. And he's so good at lying that he can lie to you and convince, it was, convince you it was your idea. He can convince you that it came from you. When I sit in counseling, people say, you know, God doesn't love me. I'm like, I wonder where that came from. Now, they think it's their conclusion because events that's happened in their life. And I'm like, hmm. That's interesting because I know who God is, right? And they're just emphatic. That's usually how you know someone's really in bondage when they argue with truth. No matter how you try to bring truth to them, they just argue with it. How you try to bring truth to them, they argue with it, right? So what I want to do, uh, in fact, let me show you this. Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And I want to show you this is just one place, but here's what Paul says. There's something I can do that allows Satan access to my life, and there's something I can do that restricts his access to my life. Just in this one area around anger. What he's saying is, hey, if I really get angry, Satan's going to bring me to a place of sin. And so what I've got to do is learn how to, to contain myself and to control myself. The fruit of the Spirit, by the way, is self-control. I think a lot of us are waiting on God to control us, but that's not his business. And so um, what this says, hey, there's something I can do that allows him a place in my life, and there's something I can do. Listen, I heard Jimmy Evans say this one time. If you've ever gone to bed angry, you've been counseled by Satan. And so you need to understand there are things that we do that allow Satan access to our life, and there are things we do that restrict his access, and the biggest thing is believing a lie. And so I want to I give you five lies that I think cover the most ground. I mean, there could be, obviously, many, many more. 
but five lies that I think correspond to, to doors that the enemy uses to access people's lives. And I'll just walk through these as fast as I can. But the first one, here's the first lie. Well, it, it will affect me because it affected them. And what I mean is generational iniquity. In other words, well, you know, my grandfather had heart disease <laughs> and my dad has had heart disease and I guess at some point I'm going to have heart disease. Or better yet, well, you know, everybody in our family gets at least one divorce. These, by the way, these are all things that I've heard, right? Um, well, you know, you know, my grandfather had a problem with anger, and you know, I had a problem, and it's, I, just, I had a problem with anger. You know, it's just the way way it is. Well, my mother, you know, she had a depression, uh, really bad, so it's no no real surprise that I have depression too. Now, let me say first and foremost, yes, there's there's genetic. I mean, science tells us there are genetic tendencies. I mean. Uh, you know, you can have a certain disease run through a family. You can have diabetes run through a family. Those, that, that's true, all right, um, or that is fact. But there's something that's always higher than fact, and it's called truth. And so we need to understand that just because there's something in your family doesn't mean you have to have it. In Exodus 20, let me just show you where this comes from. Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, For the Lord your God is a jealous God. He said, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity. Key word, iniquity. Iniquity is different than sin. Iniquity is the inward bending or the brokenness of my soul or the propensity towards something. Sin is the thing that I do. Sin comes out of iniquity. Does that make sense? And I'll show you that in just a minute. So he says, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So do you see that? Iniquity passes from one generation to the next. For those who hate me, in other words, if you don't serve him. But look at this. For those, for those who love me, I show mercy to thousands. Those who follow me, I show. So what God's saying is, let me help you. God created us to pass blessing from generation to generation. He created us to pass acceptance and love and grace, even health, right? He, he created us to pass blessing from generation to generation. When man fell, that system that God created to pass blessing now passed iniquity. That's why Jesus had to be born of a woman, not with, with no man's participation, because genetic code and blood come from the father, and he had to have a pure bloodline, that's why he was without sin, right? We know he had a borrowed tomb, but he also had a borrowed womb. Are you with me? And so he did that so that we could be free from this curse, the generational iniquity. And so God says, hey, my heart's to show mercy, but for people who don't serve me, iniquity is passed to the third and the fourth generation. Um, do you remember... Uh, Abraham and Sarah, two different times they encountered kings and Abraham said, Sarah, we're going to tell a lie. And we're going to tell the kings that you are actually my sister and not my wife because if they feel, find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. So I'd rather just surrender you so I can live. So Abraham does it twice. You know, it's crazy. Isaac, Abraham's son, does the same thing. Exact same thing. Right? Now, what was the iniquity? Well, let me back up. What was the sin? Well, the sin was lie. What was the iniquity? Fear. I'm scared they're going to kill me. Let's lie. Right? Do you see it? And so 
Iniquity is, is passed down. But, but here's the great thing. Jesus paid not only for sin, but he paid for iniquity. He was wounded for our transgression. That's our sin, Isaiah 53. But he was bruised for our iniquity. He, here's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm going to pay for what you did, but I'm going to pay so you can be healed so you don't have to do it anymore. Amen. That was better than your amen. Come on, somebody else. Help me out here. Uh, that should have gotten more than one amen. But do you see how perfect Jesus is in, in the sacrifice that he made in that he said, hey, I, I'm going to pay for all the sin you've done, but I'm going to pay also so that the inward bending and the brokenness of your soul can be healed so that sin doesn't have to come out that way. Um, you, you see it all throughout the Bible. You can see it in Jeremiah, Leviticus, and Nehemiah, where, where in fact, Nehemiah 9, verse 2, it says, Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins. Well, look at this. They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Uh, when Julie and I discovered this years ago, actually, I, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we, we discovered this or came to this, and we actually stood. Now, Julie and I are from, I mean, we're, we're, we're both blessed to have godly parents. We were raised in godly homes. Uh, but we, but we, there's third and fourth generations, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And we have uncles and we have aunts and we have grandparents and there's those type of things. And, and so what Julie and I said, we're so grateful for our godly heritage, but we're going to do exactly what Israel did. We're going to stand and we're going to confess our sin, but then we're going to confess the iniquity of everybody that we can see in our family, whatever that iniquity might have been. And we ask God, show us the iniquities that we see all the way up through our family trees. And we stood in, in our living room, we confessed our sin, and we confessed those iniquities, and we repented on the behalf of our families. And here's why we did that. We said, hey, God, now all of this is under the blood. It stops with us, and it will not carry to our children. So... Um, it will affect me because it affected me. Here's the second line. It's just a struggle. <laughs> it's just a struggle. What I'm talking about, obviously, is habitual sin. It's just a struggle. Now, let me explain something. We all sin. Can we all agree that we all make mistakes? If you're sitting here like, oh, I don't sin, then we should write a worship song about you and have you come up and sing to you because you must be Jesus and you're here today in the flesh and we should celebrate that. But for the rest of the world who's in reality, we all sin. And we make mistakes. And, you know, and sometimes we even sin and we didn't mean to. We hurt someone's feelings and we just weren't being considerate enough. And sometimes maybe we get a little angry and we act out a little bit or we have a bad day and we act out. I mean, there's things that happen. And, and so I'm not talking about, you know, the sins that just kind of happen here and there as you go through life, the mistakes you made. I'm talking about the sin you're stuck in. Uh, Paul, I think it was Paul or maybe the writer of Hebrews calls it the besetting sin. Because here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said, we read it a minute ago, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. That word commits means to prolong or continue in. So he's not just talking about, well, I, I kind of got upset and said something I shouldn't, but that's not a normal thing for me. It just was a really hard day. And he's not talking about that. He's talking about the sin you're, you're continuing in, the sin that you're a slave to. In other words, the sin you don't have control over. Because it's one thing if I mess up and I repent and I, I don't have to do that anymore and I, I go on about my life. It's another thing is if I keep repenting but I keep staying stuck. That's a different kind of thing. That's a, that's a besetting sin. That's a habitual sin. That's a continued sin. That's a sin where I don't have control. And if I don't have control, what does that mean? I'm in bondage. 
right? It's the sin where I say, well, I'm never going to click on it again. Well, I clicked on it again. Well, God forgive me. I'm never going to click on it again, but I clicked on it again. Well, I'm not going to get angry and punch a hole in the wall anymore, but I got angry and punched a hole in the wall, and now I've punched 12 holes in the wall, and now no one can come to my house because, you know, it looks like a pin cushion all throughout my house because I keep getting mad and throwing stuff and punching holes in the wall. So, so it's, it's where I'm stuck. I, I don't have control, right? I love Jesus, but I, I keep drinking too much, and I just keep drinking too much, and I keep saying I'm not going to drink, but it doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. This is where the church, I think, gets it wrong. We're not talking about your love for Jesus. We're talking about something that has control over you. We're talking about a sin that you're stuck in. And here's the great thing. Jesus paid for the sin we're stuck in. And just because I'm stuck in sin doesn't mean I don't love Jesus, and it doesn't mean I don't love my family. I think this is the lie of the enemy. Well, if you admit that, then you can't be a Christian. Well, you know, Lord, I'd hate if you followed me around the next month and saw all my sin. I mean, my Lord. I, you know, not that I live in sin and have continued sin, but I make mistakes all the time. Like, I'm good at them. Most of them I make and don't even know till somebody tells me. Right? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm, here's, I think the lie of the enemy is, well, if you admit that you're addicted or if you admit that you're stuck in this or you admit this, then people are going to think you're not a Christian. Can, can we just all be mature and grow up and say you can love God and still be stuck in something? Like, here's what's wrong with the church. You can't get here, because here's why. When you're dealing with a besetting sin, the only way to get free is you got to bring it to the light. Um, The Bible says, if we love evil, then we run away from the light. That's just a picture of bondage. It's saying, hey, I got to get away from the light because I got this thing going on. But the Bible said, if you want to be free, you got to come to the light. The way you come to the light is you do the truth. So the first truth you do is you be honest with you and say, I'm not in control. I'm stuck. And then James says, you be honest with someone else. And you confess your sin to someone else and let them become a partner in your freedom. That's why we have life groups, why we have life group leaders. They're safe. You can go to any life group leader and say you have any sin in the world and they're not going to kick you out of the church or make fun of you or put you on Facebook. They're going to start walking with you. Now, listen, confessing it to someone, this is where most people, it's going to make you feel good, but that's not freedom yet because you're stuck because something's broken. The, the sin is the sin, but you're stuck because the iniquity. Are you with me? And so just because we confess it, that's just the first step on the road to healing, Right? But we're going to have to get in a group. We may have to get. Uh, we may have to use some other resources. We had to put some support around our lives, and we're going to walk it out, just like I talked about last week. We're going to go through the process. But that's where you start. You have to be honest. You have to say, "Hey, I'm stuck. I'm not in control. I'm stuck with this thing." Okay, let me say something real quick to to the men, and and even now, women, um, men, if if you're struggling with pornography, do not go home this afternoon and tell your wife. Okay, and, and you're like, well, why not? Because um, it, is, it will have the same traumatic effect on her as, as rape, essentially. In the brain, that's what will go on, okay? You need to start with a man. There'll be a time to bring your wife into it. But, but the cycle of every week telling your wife you looked at pornography is, is more than she can probably take right now, okay? So find you a, get in a men's group. <laughs> Come talk to a pastor, you need to confess it, but let's not traumatize your wife, okay? Right? Now, she may already know. If she already knows, that's a different deal. You understand what I'm saying? Is that helpful? Anyways, all right. So that's just, 
I, I think that I, I've been to men's conferences where they're like, man, you just got to go home and tell your wife. And it's, if you study the brain patterns, it's, it's traumatic for them. It's traumatic. And so we don't want to traumatize our wife. There's a way to do that. We can help you, but we don't want to just go traumatize a bunch of wives this afternoon. All right. So uh, it's, 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 it's not a struggle here. or It's just a struggle. Here's number three. Uh, they don't deserve forgiveness. <laughs> they don't deserve forgiveness. I laugh because you know we've all been there. Because they don't, hey, they don't deserve forgiveness, do they? I mean, can we just be honest? They hurt us and they don't deserve it, right? Because that's grace. Like law says they don't deserve forgiveness, right? And grace says, well, I, I have to. I have to, I have to forgive. <laughs> Listen, they don't deserve forgiveness, but you deserve freedom. <laughs> and the only way for your freedom is forgiveness. Uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this uh, parable, this story. He talks about a servant whose master had compassion because he, <laughs> the servant owed the master what would in today's money be equivalent to about $50 million. Now, I don't know how you get that bad in debt. But <laughs> oh, he must have had a yacht or something. But um, <clears throat> anyways, but Jesus is obviously making a point. He owes him about $50 million. And the master has compassion on him and says, I'm going to forgive your debt. And that servant immediately goes, having been forgiven $50 million, and finds a fellow servant who owes him about $50, right? You know, a, a day's, maybe a day's pay, you know, in minimum wage or something like that. It was just 50 bucks. And he throws, he has him thrown in jail till he'll repay the debt. And then Jesus responds and says, then his master, after he called him in, said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt, $50 million, because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to, watch this, the torturers, until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father, watch verse 35, this is Jesus talking. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, not from his mouth, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespass. So he said, my heavenly father is going to do this to you if you don't forgive from your heart. What's he going to do? He's going to turn you over to torturers. Who do you think that is? Right? We're talking about lies that bind. We're talking about lies that give the enemy access to our life. And here's one of the lies that gives enemy access to our life. You don't need to forgive them. They, they don't deserve to be forgiven. But unforgiveness actually grants... Satan access to your life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, it says, this is Paul talking. He said, now whom you forgive anything, I'll also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Watch verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. What's his device? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness that comes from the heart and not the mouth. There's a difference. Unforgiveness may need to start at the mouth, but you have to keep working until it gets to the heart. And here's how you know when it's in the heart. You don't bring it up anymore. 
Have you ever heard someone I have talking, they said, you know, I just forgave them, but you know what they did? Those people are so terrible and they did this and they, but I'm so glad I forgave them. I hope they burn in hell, but I'm glad I forgave them. Today, I hope they get hit by a bus, but I've forgiven them. That's where, no, hey, you know, I really appreciate you working on it. You know, think there's a little more work to do, you know. You know, listen, here's how you know when you forgive and you don't bring it up. Listen, the Bible says Jesus separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Let me ask you a question. Do you think an all-knowing God actually can't remember our sin? Or do you think an all-knowing God just chooses never to bring it up again? I think he just chooses not to bring it up again. And that's how I know I've walked in forgiveness. When, when I, don't, I don't need to bring it up again. The hurt's gone, so I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to, to bring it up again. By the way, if you've been forgiven of something and it keeps coming up and you've repented for it and you've received forgiveness and it keeps coming up, I can tell you where it's coming up from. Hell. Because Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And he always accuses us with stuff we've done. But God doesn't bring it up. Right? If you're in your prayer time and you get flooded with what you did, that's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's Satan trying to keep you from God. All right? So, so that's the, the third one. They don't deserve forgiveness. Here's the fourth one. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. And, and by this, I'm talking about pride. And we need to understand, I'll show you in a minute, that pride's pretty serious. It really gives the enemy a place. But we need to understand that, that, that pride really comes down to, I'll do it my way. And I think there's a religious pride. And a religious pride usually uh, uses religion to judge others to make themselves feel better. Um, I also think that sometimes we miss how serious pride is. Um, because the Bible says God opposes the proud. Now, I'll give you a football picture if, if you want one. See, let's just say that I'm walking in humility with the Lord and I'm the running back. I have the football. Well, God is now my, my, uh, he's my offensive tackle, right? And, and man, we're, we're making ground. When we say God opposes the proud, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that God just says, well, you just do whatever you want to do. No, it means that God now, who used to be my offensive tackle, is now the nose guard on the other side. He's now playing defense. God's now going to tackle me. He used to be blocking for me. Now he's going to tackle me. God opposes. He works against the proud. He, listen, if you're dealing with pride, God is working against you. Because he loves you. And if he lets you win your way, you'll be stuck in pride. And that's why he says, humble yourself before the Lord. I've found that you can humble you or God can humble you. And one of them is easier. In my life, I've dealt with a lot of pride, a lot of religious pride, a lot of pride. That's why it's really easy for me to sniff out because I've had a whole lot of it. I have. When you have pride, you have two problems. You're broken and no one can convince you you're broken. That's the story of my life. I was so proud and so messed up that I thought I was okay when I wasn't okay. And it took a crash to convince me I wasn't okay. God had to bring some humility because I didn't know how to humble myself. In that now I've learned I like humility. Humility is your friend. <laughs> 
First Samuel chapter 15, there's the story, and God tells Saul to go fight King Agag. There's a good name if you're pregnant, Agag. Uh, every time I eat peas, I Agag. Anyways, um, good name, biblical name. Anyways, go out to fight King Agag, and, um, and God says you're going to win, and when you win, destroy all the living things. And everything that's alive, you got to kill. And so next thing you know, uh, God calls Samuel and says, hey, Samuel, you need to go check on your boy Saul because he's messed up. He didn't kill everything that was, he was supposed to kill animals and all, kill everything that's living. And he didn't kill everything that's living. So Samuel hops on his donkey and heads down to the battlefield and gets to Saul. And, and Saul then had messed up and offered the sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to offer. Anyway, Samuel gets there and he says, Saul, um, how's it going? <laughs> and Saul says, it's going great. I did everything God said. And Samuel said, if you did everything God said, why is there a petting zoo behind your tent? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm confused. Those animals are not supposed to be here. I hear the bleeding of sheep, you know. And, um, and Saul said, well, about that, you know, we were, we were going to kill those animals, but then we saw they were good, so we kept the best animals to sacrifice to the God. Interesting how spiritual we can make our disobedience sound. I'm going to do it my way, but make it sound like I got God's blessing. And so Samuel says God doesn't require sacrifice. He requires obedience. In other words, he just wants you to hear him and do what he says and not do all this spiritual stuff when you don't want to do what he says. Because we're really good about doing sacrifice when obedience is too hard. And so First uh, Samuel 15, 23, then Samuel says, for rebellion... So what was Paul's problem? It was pride. He did it his way. I'm not going to wait on God for I'm not going to wait on Samuel for the sacrifice. I'm not going to kill all these animals. I'm going to do it my way. So that's pride. Now watch watch what pride then unfolds into. 1 Samuel 15:23 for rebellion. Do you remember was Satan rebellious to the authority of God? Why was he rebellious? Pride. Pride was the first sin before earth was. Amen. See, God, <laughs> see what I'm saying? I got that one right. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I love it when God comes to church. Amen. We all better tweet that one today. <laughs> Pride was sin before Adam and Eve were ever created. Pride was sin. And pride always results in rebellion. But watch this. It doesn't start there. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubborn... And see? This may be the best message. Even God said this one was good. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So that's pride. It's iniquity and it's idolatry. And he said, because you've rejected the Lord, the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. And that was when... when, when God then starts looking and finds David. Um, but, but do you see that pride always equals rebellion and rebellion equals witchcraft? And here's what they all say. I'm going to get what God wants to give me, but I'm going to get it my way. Now apply that to church people. I'm going to walk in the blessing of the Lord, but I'm not going to honor the word of the Lord. Is this too real? Right? I'm going to walk in the blessing, but I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to walk in the blessing, but I'm going to continue in this. I'm going to, I want the blessings of God, but I want it on my terms and I want it my way. I just want to do it my way. And, and God said, that's like witchcraft. That opens the door to the enemy. Right? 
opens the door to the... I mean, obviously, witchcraft opens the door to the, the enemy. I, you know, I, I marvel at people that don't understand Ouija boards and all those things. just opens the door to the enemy. I mean, there's so many different things. But, but pride is, is a big one because it results in rebellion and then also in witchcraft. Um, and it opens the door to the enemy. And so we can't live in that. Well, I'm going to live for God my way. No, that's pride. That's pride. Uh, here, here's the last one, number five. Uh, it's not affecting me. <laughs> it's not affecting me. And by this, I, I'm talking about emotional wounds and trauma. It's not affecting me. And um, man, there's just so much you could say right here, but I've heard that so many times. Well, yeah, that happened, but it's just not, it's not affecting me today. And, and one of the, can I tell you one of the biggest lies that I've heard in church? It comes from Satan. You know, time heals. <laughs> Does it? No, time doesn't heal. Time festers and get infect, gets infected. Time doesn't heal anything. When you're talking about emotional wounds and trauma, when, when I'm talking about that, uh, Luke 4.18, I love the old King James, but Luke 4.18 says that he comes to set, set at liberty the oppressed. The old King James, which is what I was raised on because back then it was the authorized version of the Bible. It was a corrupt king who, who initiated its translation, but it was the authorized version. of the, Never mind. That's a bondage that I won't talk about. So... <laughs> But, um, but we had the old King James, and so there's some things I still like about it. But when it talks about uh, Luke 4.18, where it says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, um, preach the gospel, and then to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then it says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The old King James would have said it this way, to set free those who are bruised. What's a bruise? It's a trauma. It's a trauma that bursts blood vessels and causes blood to come up, right? If you had a bruise on your arm, somebody hits you on your arm, you fail, something, it'd be a bruise, right? And it would come up. It would be a trauma. Well, what's he talking about? What's he saying? He's saying, hey, there's a trauma that puts me in bondage. He came to set at liberty. In other words, people who have been bruised need freedom. And we miss this. People who have been bruised need freedom. You, you, you got to be healed, I'll come back to this in a minute, but let me give you some bruises that put people in bondage. And I know this because of the, the work that I've done. But uh, here's some traumas. You know, first of all, obviously abuse. Abuse comes in a lot of forms, physical abuse, um, emotional, uh, sexual, and even spiritual. I mean, there's emotional abuse and there's sexual abuse, there's physical abuse, but there's also spiritual abuse. There are people who have used spiritual authority to manipulate and control and even take the best from people and take from this. That's spiritual abuse. It happens, right? And so, and then there's neglect. Neglect is another form of abuse. It's just uh, where uh, abuse is aggressive, uh, neglect is passive. Neglect just sends a message you don't matter enough to even recognize or Right. And, and can I tell you the biggest lie, some of the biggest lies I've seen just around abuse? Um, uh, number one, Satan is so good that when trauma happens, he tells us why. Because I've sat with people and they were abused, maybe badly abused sexually or physically or whatever the case may be. And they'll tell me, well, you know, really, I deserved it. And that's 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 how Satan, the father of lies, has helped them process what they went through. Well, if I'd have been better, well, if I'd just made straight A's, dad wouldn't have hit me. 
So it's, it's, it's the B. That was the problem. I made the B, and Dad needed all A's. Now, if you've never worked with people who have been abused, that doesn't make sense to you. You're like, man, that's... But see, you've never been traumatized. And when you're traumatized and the father of lies shows up and he's really good at explaining why you were abused. Well, I was abused sexually because I just... Well, I just had it coming. Really? Like... Can I help you if, if you have been abused and I, I couldn't address every situation and I can't even talk about all of them because we don't have time. I'd encourage you to be at Become. But can I tell you something? Because here's the number one thing that I'd love for you to know is you being abused had nothing to do with you. You were not abused because you were something wrong. You were not abused because you did something wrong. And you were not abused because you didn't do something right. You were abused because someone in your life was sick and broken and did not know how to deal with themselves and control themselves. And God, unfortunately, can't override the will of man. And when we're broken, we have a will. Just like when we're healed, we have a will. And people do things every day to hurt other people. But when people do things to hurt other people, it is not the victim's fault. It is the person who did it. And there's nothing wrong with you if you have been abused. It was not your fault. It was their fault. And God can heal you. And he will heal you because those traumas are hurtful. And the enemy would love, and this is what I've seen, he would love to make that abuse your identity for the rest of your life. He would love for you to live the rest of your life as a victim when Jesus paid for you to be the victor. And so I'm sorry if you've been abused, but it wasn't your fault. It was someone else. They were sick. They were broken. They were messed up. And they made decisions that affected you, and I'm sorry. There's others. There's abandonment, rejection, betrayal, prejudice. Uh, there's even traumatic, witnessing traumatic things, traumatic accidents. Uh, there was a pastor I heard speak one time, and um, he was talking about how he had witnessed a, a, a horrific traffic accident. And for the longest time, every time he got in his car, he, he had this thought in the back of his mind, I'm probably going to die today in this car. And it was because he had been traumatized. What he saw was traumatic, and he thought it would be his ending the way it was the person that, that he had witnessed and, and experienced. And so all of those different things are, are places where the enemy puts these like, well, it's not affecting me. Well, it's not affecting me. Well, it's not affecting me. Is it really not affecting you? Because if you haven't been healed... It's affecting you. Um, a lot of times when it comes with dealing with wounds, um, here, here's the ways that I've seen that don't work. <laughs> the first one is denial. It's I'm really not broken. I'm really okay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But it, you look when you look at your fruit, is everything fine? Your relationships with people, the way you see yourself, the, what you hear in your head, the way you act, the things, is it really fine? So people deal with, with these wounds many times through denial. Um, emotional isolation, this is my crutch. This is my addiction. I know how to go in a cave, and I can be very present physically and, and not even be emotionally in the room. And so that was the way I learned to survive. And um, uh, rationalization, trying to make sense of it. <laughs> you, you can't make sense of someone else's actions towards you most of the time, right? You can't 
Trauma is hard to make sense of. Um, blame, blaming others. And, and let me say this. Um, it is their fault. But what are you going to do with the rest of your life? They, they sinned against you. But, but what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I talked about this last week, but if I went out in the parking lot and somebody hit me with a car and broke my leg and I'm laying in the parking lot, if I want, I can lay the rest of my life in the parking lot and say, well, I can't walk because somebody hit me with a car. Now, was it my fault? No, pedestrians always have the right of way. Praise God. (laughs) It was their fault. But what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Be a lame victim in the parking lot? Or am I going to call 911, get an ambulance, go get a cast, and when that comes off, walk through physical therapy and move forward with my life? Because God still has a plan and still has a purpose even when other people sin against me. We were in Luke 4, but Luke 4 also comes from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is the same messianic prophecy that, Luke, that Jesus is reading in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointing me. Preach the gospel to the poor. But it says this, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Heal the brokenhearted. Um, I I love that because if you take that brokenhearted part, a word, that that word apart in the original language, you have broken and hearted. And it says, send me to heal the brokenhearted. Um, What that actually means is he sent me to heal those who have been crushed on the inside. It's actually the picture. It's actually what the word means. He sent me to heal those who have been crushed on the inside. He sent me to heal those who have been traumatized, that have been wounded, that have been broken, that have been hurt. I I think that sometimes we miss that Jesus cares about all three parts of us. Because I've been to churches and they're like, Jesus cares about your spirit and that's why you need to pray and get your ticket punched to go to heaven. And I've been to churches where Jesus cares about your spirit and Jesus cares about your body and you can be saved and you can be healed. But I want to be a church that understands Jesus cares about all three parts of me. He cares about my spirit, and he cares about my body. But he also came to heal those who were crushed on the inside. And in my life, I've been crushed on the inside. And I know what it's like for Jesus to heal you when you're crushed on the inside and set you free. There are lies. The enemy loves to put us in bondage to lies. But truth sets you free. It heals you on the inside, all through, the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you live. And that's what Jesus paid for. Amen. Can you give him praise? Why don't you go ahead and stand with me and I'll pray and get us out of here.